everyone and welcome to That Was Genius. This is a funny history podcast by Tom Berry and Sam Datter, exploring little-known stories and corners of the past. We'll get to the history shortly, but first, a couple of minutes of what we ominously call, quote, witty banter, highlights of our pre-recording chat, which usually ends up being mostly toilet humour. I've I cracked open my last odd beer. Oh. This is the Dark Druid. This is the chocolate orange pastry stout. <laughs> Bullshit. That's what it is. <laughs> Lord of all shite, that's what that is. Lord of all shite. The Dark Druid would cut the mistletoe that grew on the oak tree and give it as a blessing. Right. The oaks were seen as a sacred and the winter fruit of the mistletoe was a symbol of life in the dark winter month. Fuck get, off. Get on with it. <laughs> get on with it. I ordered a beer. <laughs> Not a story. Not a story about Barman. a beer. <laughs> Marvellous. Well, that was not a very days. interesting anecdote, was it? I don't know. It's beat some of them. <laughs> it's, not, it's not the worst we've had for an intro. Uh, yes, fair enough. Right. On that, should we do a podcast? <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Hello. And Sam, hello, discuss history stories on a theme each week. We decide the theme the week in advance, but everything else that happens is a surprise. And by laughing through oh the intro... Well, you can always do it again. No. You can always no. do it again. I'm a one-take pony, Tom. Because I can't edit that out. <laughs> I mean, that's a lie. I absolutely can. <laughs> right, what's our theme this week? The theme this week is coups. coups. And not those type of coups you get when you're walking sassy down the street past no. some builders on some scaffolding not that type of coup no and not the type of coup you get with other coups uh, in moroccan cuisine that is to say couscous <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely not that either no. it's a kind of coup de tat type coup and if you overthrow a dickhead it's a coup de twat coup de twat yes nice and uh and if you roll over an overweight person it's a <laughs> it's a coup de coup fat, de fat. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> or an irishman as a coup de pat. <laughs> yes. Uh, small fish. Coup de sprat. Nice. Paul Hollywood. Coup de plat. <laughs> Decided to go highbrow with a bread pun. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot you can do, isn't there? There's a lot it's of app words. En- en- endless, endless fun yeah, you could have yeah. with it that we won't. <laughs> for obvious reasons, <laughs> audience. <laughs> now, is this a public episode? This is a public episode. So all Good. of that research you did into missed feedback from the last few months, hey. you can... Reel it out now. Can I have some um, music, please? What kind of music would you like? Just a sort of generic background ditty. Dum, 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 dum. You're getting the girl from the Panema. feedback is from Robert, who suggested we do the topic whales, and not the country. Sexy. We did that last week. The mammal with a blowhole and fins. Then we've got Ryan again. He's the one who suggested whales for last week. As we in, forgot to mention not whales. <laughs> no, don't do whales again. That was Ryan's feedback. The other whales. <laughs> no. uh, Ryan, um, Ryan told us that "fell rich moon pot jam" translates. It's a Welsh phrase, and it translates as like a fart in a jam jar. Uh, yes. Which jam, is a good phrase. Jam, I understood. Yeah, it's a great phrase. Fell ruch moon pot jam. Like yes. a fart in a jam jar. <laughs> it's also Klingon. Very good Klingon. <laughs> I'm sure what he types was Welsh. I'm sure what you said was Klingon. 
Oh, I thought you were talking about the fart in the jam jar because you could well have some marmalade cling on after that. You could. <laughs> Beautiful. Nicely done. <laughs> we had a chat with Amy about a PhD, didn't we? Is that have we mentioned that in an episode? Don't think so. Oh well, that was quite nice. Thank you, Amy, for that little chat. Are you I don't to, know quite why you're you were asking some, us. Going to give it some context. <laughs> Oh, I can't remember. It's quite a while ago now, isn't it? Amy um, was thinking about doing a PhD and she decided to ask two people who haven't even done a master's. Yes. <laughs> what they thought about it and you and I both answered very knowingly. We did, uh, yes. We gave the best answer we could with very limited resources available to us. <laughs> I mean, speak for yourself, I've got a master's. You do have a master's. Just not in history. <laughs> Media studies. Whatever, Journalism. <laughs> Give me my credit. Turtley. She pointed out, this is quite a few episodes back now, when we made a joke about Colonel Sanders being a figure in the Civil War, she pointed out that there was a Colonel Sanders in the Civil War, and I researched it, and there were three. Oh. There were three Colonel Sanderses. Who did they fight for? Um, they fight for the right <laughs> to... to eat chicken. <laughs> right. right. Um, we had someone called Instagram. Oh, incidentally, Tom, nice if you feedback. overthrow a group of chickens, it's a coop. <laughs> coup de tat nice. coup de tat <laughs> <laughs> like what you did there that's good um, and then we had now this is the most important one and I'm sorry Ellie that we didn't mention this earlier but I think this was in the run up to Christmas and it got lost slightly Ellie Haney or Henny she, she said if you guys give me, give me a shout out I will do a victory lap of my local supermarket wearing only a placard reading Vitruvius is a boring shithead shit wow where did that come from I didn't see that with photographic evidence. Also, Merry Christmas. I think it was on a Facebook post. Oh. And I can't believe... And that's probably why it got lost as well, actually. it's probably another reason. Damn. Um, well, so uh, I consider yourself it's... shouted out. And um, Vitruvius is spelt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, she spelt it right, actually. She did okay. very well. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it sounded like a sort of message that someone writes drunk. But, I don't know. It's, well, it's binding, come, isn't that's it? that's come back to bite you on the arse. Yes, there's no statutes <laughs> of... There's binding. no statutes of limitations with... <laughs> Empty promises Drunken made in the comments. Facebook posts to a podcast. <laughs> yeah, so that Sorry. now has to be Those done. Those are the Eddie. rules. <laughs> We've kept up our side of the bargain. Yeah, we have. You thought you got away with it too. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, that's what I had. That's my audience feedback. I mean, that'll do. Well ah, done. Crisp. A crisp. <laughs> How is your wanky beer? It, it's, yeah, it's, it's dark and druidy. Tell me again what it is that you've got. It's, it's the last of my wanky beers, and this is the White Hag Irish Brewing Company, the Dark Druid, chocolate orange pastry stout. And does it taste of chocolate orange and pastry? It does, actually. Does it? Oh, it fair does. enough. Yeah. Is it like a Terry's chocolate orange on your on your tongue? It is. It's like, a, it's like you've put a Terry's chocolate orange in a liquidizer, blended it up with um, a White Hag and Ooh. a Dark Druid... Nice. And uh, made alcoholic. Beautiful. Uh, well, I, and vaguely speaking of which, I've got an honourable mention for, for this week's podcast in terms of coups. Can I give it now? Go for it. I haven't written oh, yeah, got yeah. my script, so I'm going to have to uh, run back through my notes and, um, and have, a, have a quick look. There was, a, there was an instance of one coup I discovered of a prime minister being eaten. Oh, nice. You did yeah. well there. Yeah, I'm only doing it as an honourable mention because it's not actually a very fun story. Um, it's a guy called uh, Johan de Witt. Johan de Witt, a Dutch Prime Minister, and in 1667, I think it was. Oh, sorry, no, it was, it was much later. 1672. 1668. 
There was a coup, and uh, that was four years later. That was that wasn't much later. There was a coup. He got killed, and uh, and several of his body parts were eaten by the protesters and stolen away. So there you go. Wow, uh, these were Dutch protesters. This was these a were coup Dutch protesters protesting. Uh, yes, who killed their prime minister in a coup um, and ate him against the poor Dutch performance in the Anglo-Dutch War. First Anglo-Dutch War. And they ate him. That's a very odd thing for a Dutch. Yeah, man. someone apparently ate one of his eyes. Oh crikey! So he was still alive. <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? I thought the Dutch were known for their pastries, not their yes, prime well, ministers. I mean, who can say what's going into that pastry? It could be a bit Game of well, Thrones. Well, or he he could have just had a very almondy centre. He could have done. He could have been, yes. I mean, you talk about the apple of your eye. He could have had a delicious apple cinnamon flavoured eye. He could yeah, essentially yeah, yeah, have yeah. had a Cinnabon for an eyeball. And a marzipan tongue. Yes. Well, you know, if he'd lost it in an earlier fight, then uh, it would be a handy place to store a pickled egg. Slash Scotch egg or other small lunch item. Yes, I suppose it would. And you can pop it out when you're feeling yeah. peckish. Ooh. You could <laughs> probably have me. a series, couldn't you? You could probably tuck maybe a couple behind as well. So you could have like a conveyor belt. Yeah, of... meal prep. <laughs> <laughs> Just stuff five Scotch eggs into your eye socket. Right, well, on, that like... note, on that note, I think it's your turn to go first. <laughs> much like a vending machine, you know. <laughs> You have one of those little metal spirals yeah. that twists. Yeah, the, and the, la- the, last one, the last one on it, the Scotch egg, just half hangs out of your eyes. You've got to whack him round the head to get it out. <laughs> Kick him in the bollocks. What you actually have to do is order some spaghetti from his hair in the hope that it'll fall down and knock down the Scotch egg out of his eye. <laughs> yeah. Leave that with you, audience. Um, right, so it's my turn to go first, isn't it? Your turn to go first, yes. Well, you found that one, which, despite sounding quite funny, wasn't very funny, in your own words. No. I I was researching this, and I didn't find any particularly amusing coups, oh. I'll be honest. I no, was quite actually, disappointed. Do you know what? I was expecting this. I was expecting hilarious coups and lots so of funny I. stories of people, like, making a pig prime minister in protest at their government. And actually, no, there's just an awful lot of death. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of death, and it's very calculated and cold. There were no, usur- no usurpations of power by a collection of conniving nobles with flatulence, nothing like no. that. No parliaments being stormed by heavily armed Jimmy Savile impersonators. <laughs> no. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Seizing power. Doesn't stop Britain oh, voting for one. <laughs> lovely, lovely. Little, little king here wrote to me asking if I would come along and execute him. Well, Jim is here to fix it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Marvellous. <laughs> uh, no emperors being murdered by Laurel and Hardy. No. Etu Stan. <laughs> yes. No one being pulled apart by the Chuckle Brothers? No. <laughs> to, to, to me, to you, to me, to you, the baying crowd. <laughs> oh, dear. I oh, forget being pulled apart by horses. You've got, you've got Bar- <laughs> Paul and Barry. <laughs> Stashed Liverpudlians. <laughs> Liverpudlians? How dare you? They were from Rotherham. Oh, they were from Rotherham, weren't they? Yeah, you're right. I think it's worth defining coup here at this point, isn't it? Because... Probably. If you, if you use a loose definition, pretty much every transfer of power throughout the medieval period is coup, isn't it? Because oh, none of them are that well, smooth. Well, no, I mean, there's some kinks. Sometimes king, a king dies and his and son just takes over goes, and it's fine. Yeah. Not always. Well, 20% of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so it, a coup is basically a rapid, significant force transfer of power. Uh, not a revolution. That's no. different. That's more prolonged, isn't it? Not a popular uprising. No, no. Well, how does a popular uprising differ from a revolution? A popular uprising doesn't necessarily start Ending. out with the aim of overthrowing the government. Okay. They just have demands. They just want to storm the Bastille. Yeah. They just and want to party, they... Tom. They want to fight for their right to party, essentially. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, not an invasion either. That's diff- well. That's obviously foreign powers. So yeah, sharp, rapid, significant force transfer of power. That's what I came up with. I ended up deciding to research a king whose reign ended with a rather sneaky coup. Because Ooh, the story a is interesting. Coup. A sneaky coup. Good. Allow it's me to prepare interesting... for the story with a. There you go. Sneaky poo. Was that you doing a sneaky poo? No, that was me topping my drink up. Oh, fair enough. Just had an enormous glass of port and I'm now topping up the glass with a rather large rum. I'm going to be lying on the floor by the time it gets me. (laughs) Anyway, uh, the story is interesting and it's also, more importantly, from a period of history that we've never discussed before in this podcast. So I thought that was a good opportunity. (laughs) It's a bit different. A long time ago. (laughs) I have done the rebellion in Star Wars. I'm going to talk about the Visigoth king, Wamba. A womble, 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 what a womble, womble, womble he was, Tom. Well done, actually. I didn't think of that one. Um, it's more specifically <laughs> King Womba V, also known as Womba Number 5. There was Womba 1 and Womba 2. <laughs> a little bit of Visigoth sack in Rome. A little bit of Attila the Hun finding a new home. A little bit of the Vandals in North Africa. A little bit of the Alans joining them there. A little bit of Ostrogoths controlling Italy. A little bit of Anglo-Saxons and Jews in the North Sea. Oh, beautiful. Suck my balls, Edward Gibbon. <laughs> a little bit of Dogland under the waves. That's well, much earlier, but... Regardless, that was my summary of the fall of the Eastern Roman Empire. Uh, Western Roman Empire. Western, Ro- Western Roman Empire, yes. Um, yeah, anyway. No, so it, Womba number five, well, actually, that's not historically accurate. I just set that up because it was all I could do with his name. <laughs> he was the one and the only King Womba. Um, and he also wasn't the a fish. The one and only Womba. Yeah, the one and only Womba. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it could be a Christmas perfume. <laughs> yeah. put <laughs> on. I don't know. I don't know if I'd want to smell like a Visigoth. <laughs> Putting it out there. Got a certain musk to it. <laughs> hey, hairy. Yes. Hairy and ginger. Hairy ginger musk. It smells a bit like an elk. Um. <laughs> Yeah, I, the only other joke I had for his name was a fish called Womba. Nice. That's all I had. Yes. Um, but you did get the Wombling Wombles one, which was quite good. Thanks. Uh, pleasure. Uh, there's like also that. Car- Have you read Ivanhoe by Sir Walter Scott? Mm. In part, actually. Yeah, there's a character in that called Womba. He's a court jester. It's oh. one of the Anglo-Saxon kings, I think. Do you know what? Um, Mr T's first name was Womba. In the, Australian, no, in the Australian version of the A-Team. There was an Australian version of the A-Team. <laughs> yes, and Mr T's first name was Womba. <laughs> what was his second name? T. <laughs> was, it played, was it still played wombat. by the same wombat, guy? Tom. I'm making a Wombat joke. <laughs> oh, right. Where the fuck are you going with this? <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, was, I a bit, was that a bit highbrow for you? <laughs> was that a bit of a thinker for you, Barry? I'm going to be honest with you. I think I was... I, I'm fairly you sure I'm not going to be the only one who didn't get that. Were you operating uh, on a higher plane? <laughs> I suspect a lot of listeners are now thinking, oh, I didn't get that either. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. You're Wombat welcome to think tea. You're welcome to think that, listeners. Well, it's spelt right. right. <laughs> uh, but before, I'm just, I like the idea of the Australian A-team. Ding, did it, ding. Dang, dang, ding. All right, mate. Ding, ding. <laughs> Right. 
<laughs> Can you tell what I've made yet? <laughs> if you know where to find them, if you know which pub to find them in, maybe you, you know can which, find. <laughs> if Rolf Harris, if you know which prison to look in, <laughs> if you know which cell, you can find. <laughs> A group of Aussies were wrongly committed for being <laughs> <Yeah>. pedos. <laughs> What's that in my bushes? Get away from my get away from my daughter's window. <laughs> da, 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 da. Do you know that scene in the A Team where they would build something? They'd get yeah. I just that, imagine that was in the, the Australian... uh, can you tell what I made yet joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I imagine in the Australian version, um, it, it would be like a, a dead alligator, a packet packet of tinnies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the thing they made is always lager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your own brew is all that <laughs> machine. <laughs> nice one, mate. Got ourselves some home brew. <laughs> yeah, you got Mr. B, he's just a bogan. <laughs> <laughs> what are the other characters from the AT? Oh, I can't remember. Murdoch. M- C- quite a good Australian name. <laughs> yeah, Murdoch is, isn't it? <laughs> Shane Murdoch. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, sorry, King Wombuck. <laughs> oh, because oh, of course, Mister T was his character was B. A. Baracus, which is another reason yes. why the joke didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> um, Let me just Google Burns units in my area. <laughs> I think. Oh, where am I? Oh, I've gone back up in my notes. Let's get back down. Uh, Edward Gibbon suck my balls. Uh, I keep further down. Um, yeah, so anyway, before I tell you about the coup that ended King Womba's reign, let's do a bit of history. Who was the Visigoths? <laughs> Who was the Visigoths? So, we're talking about that tricky period in European history. This is the decline and fall of the Western Roman Empire and the rise mm. of the Byzantine Empire and a number of short-lived Germanic kingdoms. Well, not necessarily short-lived, actually. I, I'll no, not, not necessarily short-lived. And also, the Byzantine Empire had really risen several centuries before, but carry on. This is a bit of a specialist area for you, isn't it? It is. It is literally what my degree was about. <laughs> yes, I was hoping you might be able to help out a little bit because I didn't oh, do any God. research beyond this point. <laughs> I just have dot, 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 ask Sam. Good. Um, so in the 5th century AD, the Roman Empire came under huge pressure from Germanic tribes on its eastern European border. So think of the area of Europe beyond an imaginary line drawn from the North Sea to the Baltic. And the reason for this pressure, well, there are loads of reasons, manifold reasons, much debated. Regardless, the Germanic tribes ended up pushing into Roman territory. The Goths, who evolved into the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths, ended up migrating down from southern Scandinavia, according, I think, to their origin myths to an area known as Dacia an old Roman province absolutely where they listened to the death metal and (laughs) worships Marilyn Manson I would love to know why we've got goths from the goths because there's not really much of a connection there is there no but it's an architectural uh well yeah then how do you get from architecture to People wearing black and well, being Tom, antisocial. Well, Tom, it's the Gothic architecture surrounding, and I'm going to be corrected on this by a goth, I'm sure, it's Whitby Abbey. And Whitby the fact Abbey. that at Whitby Abbey, a uh, scene, scene of, uh, of course, Bram Stoker's Dracula, became oh. a haunt for the Gothic cultural tribe uh, who descend there every year for an annual horror festival. And the architecture of the Abbey, the Gothic architecture of the Abbey, spawned the, uh, the name of the goth movement. Well, there you go. Thank you for that, Sam. I didn't think you'd be helpful there, but you were. 
I remember going to um, the Gothic Cathedral in Seville in Spain. That is really wonderful. Very, very nice cathedral. Oh, yes, beautiful. Um, anyway, during... So this is... Yeah, Dacia, so that's modern-day Romania, basically. During the yes. late 4th century... when that's the where Goths, Dacia cars come from. Is that right? They're Romanian? Dacia cars, yes. Are they actually Romanian? Oh, they God, are. fuck me, Sam, you're on fire. Thanks. During the late 4th century, when the Goths split into Visigoths and Ostrogoths, both tribes were being pressed by the Huns and the Alans in the east. The Alans <laughs> <The> were particularly <laughs> ferocious. Yeah, they weren't as treb- yes. terrible as the Trevors. No, um, no, and nowhere, nowhere near the Bills. Or the Nigels. The Nigels no, oh were Christ. dreadful. Yes, you don't want to be raided by the Derricks either. Alan! Ow! <laughs> Alan! 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 Ow! Alan! Dan! Dan! That's what the Alan shouted. <laughs> Have you seen that video, the Alan video? Uh, no, I thought you were doing an Alan Partridge reference. No, 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 no. It's a video. It's a really funny. It's a really funny video of a meerkat, I think, or maybe some oh, like, no, a rodent, I like creature. Seen this. <laughs> Go, Alan, <laughs> Alan, I, Alan, I do know Alan. what you're talking about. Yes. Very good. Anyway, the Visigoths asked Rome if they could settle within the boundaries of the empire. And then they were given permission. And once given permission, the Visigoths quite quickly went pillaging and raiding. Um, but they are. In fairness, first. the Romans were given. <laughs> yeah, well, I think the Romans were also giving them quite a hard time and expecting them to pay for being in the empire, and they weren't really given much back. So it's basically a relationship where neither party was trying too hard to make it work. <laughs> it was um, all about. They the really sex. needed. They... <laughs> the angry, angry sex. <laughs> Angry makeup sex, angry get back together sex, angry sex sex. Yep. Yeah, that's all it was. Um, the Visigoths end up ended up in revolt. They fought a Roman army in three seven eight at the Battle of Adrianople, and gave the Romans a good hiding. And they killed Emperor Valens in the process. Oh. There you go. Despite this victory, the Romans managed to keep the Visigoths stuck next to the Black Sea. In return for the land, they were expected to hold the Roman frontier. And then we get Alaric turning up, and in 395, he becomes the leader of the Visigoths. He fights as a general for Rome for a bit, then also fights against Rome. Eventually, he gets a bit fed up with the Romans and marches the Visigoths all the way through Greece, through the Balkans, into Italy, sacks Rome in 410. The Visigoths then settle in southern Gaul for a while before ending up in Spain in 415. And the Visigoth kingdom at its largest spread from Spain through to Gaul, but they lost most of Gaul to the Franks in 507, and then they lasted a, about a further 200 years until the Muslim slash Umayyads turned up in 711, booted them out of Spain. 711. <laughs> yeah, it's <Yes>. unfortunate. <laughs> what a slushy... Uh... <laughs> oh, I thought I was, I was referencing the terrorist attack in London. <laughs> no, no, I, well, I was doing a convenience store company. <laughs> <laughs> Says a lot about both of our... <laughs> Sensitive humour. <laughs> Wombo was king of the Visigoths from 672 to 680. Beautiful. There you go. Did I sum that up quite nicely, Sam? Is there anything you'd like to add? You did. Beautiful, yeah. Um, at this juncture. Yes. Your 711 joke, yours one didn't work because it was actually the 7 7 attacks. Oh, it was 7 7, wasn't it? I've mixed up 7 7 with 9 11. Yes. <sighs> so, guess who's just making the edit? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> when I edited. Okay, let's go yours back is. a bit then. His predecessor was a chap called Rekas Vinth. Oh. That's um, probably badly pronounced, but I don't think we've got any Visigoth listeners, so I think I'm going to get away with it. <laughs> you say that. 
Who said the name wrong? No, oh. do you know what? It's much like uh, Rule 34. Rule 34 states that there's an internet porn for everything. And there's a Rule 34 for historians. <laughs> there's a historian with a PhD in literally everything. <laughs> you will get told yeah, off. That's, yeah, that's true. If only we had that many listeners. <laughs> <laughs> so when he died, uh, everyone stood around asking, who wants to be king then? Nobody raised their hand, but everyone pointed at Womba. Womba looked away sheepishly, picked up an ornament from the mantelpiece and just sort of pretended to examine it whilst whistling to himself awkwardly. <laughs> uh, well, me? me? What? Oh, oh, no, 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 I, I, I'm not suitable. <laughs> I'm very old, which he was. He tried his hardest not to become king, pointing out that he was very old. And, you know, it, it was a young man's game being a Visigoth king. Eventually, Womba gave in and became king, largely because one of the noblemen at this gathering said, do it or I'll kill you. And um, Oh, well, that's an ultimatum. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right, then. Okay. And uh, one other little interesting fact. During his coronation, a bee buzzed around his head and then pissed off. There well, go. there's an auger. Exactly. Apparently, it was a very good omen. A very good omen. Have a bee buzzing around your head on your coronation day. <laughs> going, like, going by that, my last picnic would have crowned me emperor of the universe <laughs> wasps everywhere yeah, true <laughs> like us in the summer yeah eating outside our house things started well for Wamba he put down a rebellion in the north of the kingdom when a governor of Nimes revolted and the man who Wamba sent to defeat him ended up joining this guy's side so Wamba oh. had to sort both of them out which he did with a bop and a biff and after that he defeated some, defeated some Saracens who were being a bit piratey on the south coast Fast forward to the end of Womba's reign and a fantastically sneaky coup. There are two main conspirators, a young nobleman called Ervig, who was in the Visigoth court and was desirous of power, and a chap called Julian of Toledo, a bishop of Toledo, a religious man with aspirations himself. Now, Womba appears to have been doing pretty well as king. He'd been successful on the battlefield, as I've mentioned, and in doing so, he strengthened the position of the Visigoth crown. He'd also overseen civil building works, particularly in Toledo. However, it is likely that he got the wrong side of the bishops. For one, he expected all men in his kingdom to fight if they were needed to, including religious men and nobles. Oh. I know. Not just the paupers. <sighs> King Wamba What, expecting people felt... who have money to do the dirty work? Exactly. The people who benefit most from being in charge... Christ. Disgusting. What what next, Tom? Paying taxes? It's actually a very interesting period of of history, isn't it? This sort of, should we say, maybe 100, 200 years where Rome is, well, where Western Rome is falling. It's just just chaos, isn't it? It is. And I always wonder whether people at the time really understood that it was chaos and what was happening. Who they were fighting for. Like, I know there are actually a lot of chroniclers and a lot of sources about this, but whether people, like everyday people thought, this is nuts, the world's ending as we know it, or whether people just thought, eh, oh, a new person in charge. it's been like this for a couple of hundred years already, times have been tough, Yeah, it's just what we know, or who are we giving, the, who are we giving the grain to this year, oh okay, it's a hmm. German chap. Exactly, exactly, yeah, does it matter whether you're giving it to an Italian or a German, they're all speaking Latin still. I just think it's interesting, there are is, there is so many people fighting on both sides, there are so many ethnic groups that are negotiating, fighting for Rome, fighting against Rome, then travelling through the empire and deciding to settle. I'd be interested, for example, to know how many Visigoths actually made this journey all the way through the Roman Empire. Um, yeah. Or whether it was like a Norman Conquest type thing and it was actually just a bunch of nobles 
fighting or whether they actually had caravans full of women and children as well. I don't know. It's just very interesting. Mm. So, yeah, King Womba felt that the Visigoths had become soft and lost their warlike streak. Oh. Now that they'd created a kingdom, he thought they'd become a big bunch of softy wafties, which is nothing really unusual, is is it, through history? Marauding hard nuts see the civilization in Europe, think, oh, that looks nice, I'll have a bit of that. They pinch it, enjoy it, get fat and lazy, and then the next wave of marauding hard nuts turn up. Well, yeah, I mean, that is what was classically attributed to the end of the Western Roman Empire, by Gibbons, I think. Yeah, exactly. You can't get decadent. You've got to stay hungry. You've got to get down in the trenches, Sam. <laughs> Keep it dirty. Get down and dirty. Womba also intervened a lot in ecclesiastical affairs, um, so that also pissed off the bishops quite a bit. Anyway, in October 680, Womba fell ill. As it turns out, Irvig spiked Womba's drink with a herb called Spartus. Ooh. Sounds like an energy drink. It's it's probably probably an energy drink that would have a historically inaccurate logo. Mixing, <laughs> mixing, <laughs> mixing imagery from various different periods. Yes, I re- there was in Christchurch. There was a shop, and oh, it was a hardware go. shop. Here we go. <laughs> it was a ha- I think it was a hardware shop, and I can't remember what it was called. But it had a Latin name, <laughs> and it had a Trojan helmet, and then it had an Athenian shield. <laughs> I remember well, looking at it thinking how outrageous Tom how outrageous a Trojan helmet and an Athenian shield with a Latin name someone's really mixing up their classical imagery here yes it was a hardware shop I mean <laughs> exactly if it was, was a fucking library that's reasonable to complain <laughs> I oh, would I give complain. them points for trying I didn't complain I just protested I just <laughs> set up with a banner outside <laughs> uphold our classicists values something like that Womba became very drowsy with his Spartus, lost his memory, and was just generally acting in a way not befitting of a king. <laughs> Pinching people's bums. and That sounds pretty kingly to me. <laughs> that does sound pretty kingly, actually, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what would be not very kingly? Um, working. Collecting he went, cats. He went and got a job. <laughs> he got a job as a sandwich artist at Subway. <laughs> he started playing with his toy cars... Too hot. No, that's kingly as well. Uh, I'd do that if I was a king. Uh, I'd play with toys. Right, go on. Back to the story. <laughs> yeah, anyway, back to the story. So, um, the bells rang throughout Toledo, and his bishops and loyal nobles came to his bedside with Julian at the fore, and it was decided that King Womba should receive penance to ready him for death. Ooh. Apparently, Womba wished to die dressed like a monk to improve his chances of getting into heaven. Hello, everybody. I, I'm St. Peter, and I'll be processing your heaven applications today, so please line up. Come on, come forward one at a time. Speak clearly, and we'll yes. get through as many and, uh, as we can. Make sure you filmed in the forms correctly. I cannot stress this enough. If you haven't done the H21B, then you will have to go to the back of the line and get a priest to sign it. <laughs> or we may have to put you in purgatory for a while. <laughs> Don't fall yes. into that trap. Your call is important to us. Please hold. But sir, my friend, my friend died eating super glue when he sawed off his own arm. He can't talk or write. Well, well, that's his own fault, isn't it? Yes, we, we can't have be thought of that. We can't be held responsible for the actions of the individuals. They are not covered by warranty. The unconscious king was taken to the Praetorian Basilica of Peter and Paul. He had his head shaved and was dressed in a monk's robe. As he was taken back to his residence in Toledo, he started to come round, still groggy and was forced to sign a document handing over power to Irvig 
and to do so very quickly. Within a week, Wamba had fully recovered and found out that he'd been done like a kipper. <laughs> not only had he signed the documents, not only had Ervik been crowned, but according to Visigoth law, Wamba could not be king anymore because he had had his act of penance. Oh. In addition, the act of penance could not be performed twice, so Wamba needed to steer clear of naughty behaviour before he died, so going back to being a king wasn't a good idea, because kings are naughty little buggers. They are, aren't they? I'd say. A few moments later, a few moments, a few months later, at the 12th Council of Toledo, which is my favourite Council of Toledo, got a bit boring after that. The 13th and the 14th just weren't as creative. No, much like Police Academy films. Yeah, <laughs> no, I <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched <laughs> how many police academy films have you actually watched I don't know I don't even really know how many there are but I think I've seen maybe three yeah I, I, I think I maybe many. nine I just remember the guy that could throw his voice he was cool oh uh, yeah the impressions guy yes he was, he was good yeah made yeah. lots of sounds yeah anyway so at the 12th council of Toledo Irving was formally recognised as king for his part in the plot, Julian did very well. At the same council, the Diocese of Toledo, his diocese, was made the primary one in Spain, and still is today, I think. Julian also forced Ervig to push through a number of laws, making life very difficult for Jews, because Julian had it in for Jews oh, big time. Oh, there's a surprise. He really didn't like the Jews. And they have a great time through history, do they? <laughs> no, they don't. No, they don't. And, well, we, go, we can go back to Ivanhoe by Sir Walter Scott. There's a Jewish character in that. And um, it kind of nicely highlights how Jews were viewed in the Middle Ages. It does because they were necessary. The kings wanted them for the money. They wanted to be loaned money by the Jewish people who were doing that sort of thing. But then they'd get really pissed off when they weren't able to pay it back. <laughs> so they were sort I was like, of, yes. Oh, the interest payments are due. Sounds like someone's calling for a pogrom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Let's crusade. Anyway, Womba retired to a monastery where he lived for the rest of his days. It's unclear whether he was happy with this, because after all, he hadn't wanted to be king after uh, anyway, and apparently he was quite old at this point. On the other hand, he had been stitched right up, and he was no longer in the castle eating fine venison and drinking booze to his heart's content. So it must have been quite a difficult one for Womba. Do you think he was uh, wandering where he went wrong, Tom? Oh, I think he probably was wandering. Uh, <laughs> wondering what might have been um, now a little aside to finish <laughs> regarding St Giles now St Giles do you know what he's the patron saint of oh do you know what I do but I can't I, I do but I can't remember he's the patron saint of cripples yes and apparently right. breastfeeding ah. and cancer ah. and anything else to do with being sick and Edinburgh um, make what you will out of that he is usually pictured with a deer <laughs> too so why am I mentioning mentioning him? I don't. Mentioning him. No, we're not going to do the whole lot again. We've done this in well, every episode. Well, that was for patrons. We could do the same thing for, <laughs> for <laughs> other <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, it's because apparently one day King Womble was out hunting in the woods of southern Gaul. He came across a deer and pursued the deer into a cave where poor old St Giles was praying merrily. As it turns out, Giles was living in this cave off deer milk, presumably willingly given. Yeah. Give us your tits. <laughs> deer. <laughs> Hang on. But your hands are so Dog, cold. A deer, a female deer. Tits. Tits on the deer. Milk. The milk. Squirting the deer milk tits. in my face. 
I like it. Oh, fuck, it was a stag. <laughs> oh, well, the dirty slag. <laughs> oh, any dears a goal. <laughs> oh, let's have some cottage cheese. <laughs> Marvellous. Uh, Wumba didn't know that Giles was there and shot an arrow at the deer. The arrow missed and hit Giles in the leg, causing a permanent disability, hence him being the patron saint of cripples. Uh, Wumba had his doctors sort Giles out um, and his knee, and he offered to build a monastery as an apology, but Giles refused. Instead, <laughs> Wumba founded a monastery in Giles's name. <laughs> Giles was like, no, I want money. <laughs> <laughs> Medieval no claim, no blame. Have you been involved in an accident that wasn't your fault? Very cool, want... Saul. Yes. Do you want a monastery established in your name? Oh, 0800. No win, no mucks. <laughs> Have you been shot in a, in a hunting accident that wasn't your fault? You do realise that that's actually harassment in the workplace, dear. Oh, I just thought I needed some milk. Yes. No, that's sexual harassment. You can sue. <laughs> Giles later became one of the 14 Holy Helpers. Ooh. A crack commando unit sent to prison by a military court for a crime they didn't commit. <laughs> yeah. These men promptly escaped from a maximum security stockade to the Vatican underground. Today, still wanted by the government, they survive as soldiers of fortune. If you have a problem, if no one else can help, and if you can find them, maybe you can hire 14 holy helpers. <clears throat> and the A-team again. Yes. <clears throat> In comes the limping St. Giles, smoking a big cigar. <laughs> Marvellous. Yeah, so these holy helpers, apparently they're really good ones. These 14 holy helpers. They're your top dollar saints. Yeah, yeah, their intercessions are supposed to be very, very, very effective. Okay. So if saints were medical interventions to combat COVID, these guys would be the vaccines. Oh, I see. The saints turn up and suddenly Bill Gates is in your head. The other saints are just, you know, beetroot juice. In mistletoe <laughs> <Yeah>. essence <laughs> or apple cider vinegar the real deal if you're going to pray to anyone if you need an intercession go for one of the 14 holy helpers Giles he's a cracker marvellous a good success rate yeah that's me done oh that's you done ah oh, fair enough sorry there we marvellous thank you oh, Tom shit we're 53 <laughs> minutes in that was supposed to be a we short contribution 53 minutes in how many pages of notes was that <laughs> I th- it was supposed to be quite quick I deliberately didn't do too much <laughs> Well, yeah. uh, I've interrupted an awful lot. I'm sure I've got. I'm sure I, I bear some blame. I'll return the favour. Don't worry. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that was wonderful, Tom. That was really interesting. Thank you. Like you, I struggled to find a particularly funny revolution or coup. So I, I have found a patently ridiculous one, which I'm quite pleased with, uh, which highlights the absolute state of Italian politics, particularly in the 1970s. Uh, I'm talking about the. Uh, Has it changed? I know, right? Such a marvellous change. Well, there is a familiar name bouncing around. We'll come across it. <laughs> is, is it really? Yes. Bouncing yes. around, yeah. Bouncing, bouncing around. around other things that are bouncing around. Yes, bunga, 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 bouncing along, bouncing along. Bim bambinable. <laughs> Bim bambinable. <laughs> Sorry, we've got plenty of references to Italian television. You can <laughs> introduce our classic, our classic Italian TV theme tune to as well. <laughs> Uh, I'm talking about the Golpe Borghese today, a failed fascist coup featuring, among others, half the CIA, the Mafia, some Freemasons, and you'll be shocked to discover, Tom, an awful lot of Italian government corruption. (laughs) (laughs) No. 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 Italy? Not Italy. 
So, uh, a bit of context. It's 1970. The Western world is rocking flares, and in the East, the US is busy dropping flares on innocent Vietnamese farmers. Hey. In Europe, things hang in the balance. Uh, the Mediterranean is a hotbed of far-left and far-right sentiment as the two sides battle it out for control, with the Soviets funding leftist movements and spy networks throughout quite a lot of Central and Southern Europe, and the CIA funding right-wing extremists as part of uh, what's called Operation Gladio, which is quite well known. It was a, a stay-behind operation in which networks of anti-communist partisans were funded once the US withdrew after World War II. And not to be mixed up with Operation Gladioli. Not to be mixed up with Operation Gladioli, which that was is... That all about. Winning... Nice it, gardens. Yes, it's the operation to win Britain in bloom. <laughs> yeah. 2021. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a pretty brutal time known in Italy as the Years of Lead, and tensions were very high. Enter a bloke called Junior Valerio Borghese. An Italian nobleman, uh, actually in fact a, a patrician or prince, who'd been a prominent fascist military leader in World War II. Uh, Are he the was the Borghese's famous family. They are a very famous family, yes. They were a papal family. In the Renaissance. Yes, not to be confused with the Borgias, who are a different family, but the Borghese okay, were yeah. a papal family. So there are a few popes, I think possibly John V was a Borghese pope. But yeah, very, very well known, noble, royal Italian family. Oh, yeah. And uh, so he'd been a prominent leader in World War II. He was actually the guy who started the Frogmen, which was Italy's elite commando units, and obviously not to be confused with the Frog Chorus, who sang We All Stand Together with Paul McCartney. Uh, guess which one in my mind, Tom, needs to be tried for <laughs> crimes against humanity. Uh, so when Italy surrendered to the Allies in 1943, the first half of Italy surrendered to the Allies, he'd remained loyal to Germany in the fascist cause, uh, although famously his unit had refused to fire on any Italian enemies in uniform. So as proud Italians, they refused to fire on other Italians, uh, which is in stark contrast to most Italian soldiers, Tom, who really struggled to fire at anyone. Uh, between all the running away. <laughs> <laughs> running after women. Yeah. Actually, to be fair, that's not true. They get Much like the French military in history, the Italians get a bad press, and individual soldiers were incredibly brave, but they were just led by absolute morons. They're just a fucking shambles. It was a fucking shambles, Tom. It was, frankly, quite Italian. <laughs> didn't, the, didn't the British just absolutely rinse them in North Africa? <laughs> the British turned up in North Africa and just wiped straight through the Italian forces there, and then the Germans turned up yes. and wiped through the British. <laughs> yes, and then and then they wiped back through again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, was, but I the, mean, the is... Italians I think were particularly bad, weren't they? And the British were like, "Oh, this is good." <laughs> the poor Italians. There's an awful lot of guys who didn't come back. There's an awful lot of guys who came back really quite quickly before the war was over. Drunk. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> being chased by quite a lot of pregnant ladies. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yes, anyway, during the final days of World War II, whilst fighting in northern Italy against communist partisans from Yugoslavia who'd infiltrated with the help of the British, he was rescued by the Americans who dressed him up as a US officer to protect him and spirited him off to Rome for interrogation. Uh, yes, that's right, Tom. <laughs> an Italian fighting for the Germans against the Yugoslavians with British help in Italy pretending to be an American. The, uh, the final days yeah, of I World War II... That were really quite complicated. <laughs> yep, I was struggling to follow that. <laughs> yeah, so the British, against advice from the Americans, invited the Yugoslavians to invade Italy in the final days of World War II. This Italian was fighting for the Germans against the Yugoslavians in northern Italy, and the US, who were interested in intelligence he might have, uh, spirited him away by dressing him up as a US soldier. Oh, yeah. uh, which must have been, uh, must have been a, real, a really difficult acting challenge for him to pretend to be an American going through Italy. 
All right, all right, but can you pretend to be an American for us? Hey, but I am from Italy. Yeah, that's good. You keep that up. You pretend to be an Italian-American, but I have <laughs> never left Italy. I am a 100% Italian. I don't know what you're saying. That is very, very convincing Italian-American. My God, it's like you've lived in New York your entire life. <laughs> yes, yeah, like being in front of Robert De Niro. It's just <laughs> <Yes>. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you could possibly be so convincing as an Italian-American. <laughs> Please, I don't even speak English. My God, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> Say hello to my little friends. <laughs> hey, this is beautiful. <laughs> Just get rid of the sheep. Okay, get some guns. Uh, say hello to my little friend, of course, Scarface, the... <laughs> Cuban. The Cuban <laughs> gangster. Yes. <laughs> the only thing I could get, only one I quote. So uh, once once captured and uh, and finally convicted, he was sentenced to twelve years in prison for collaboration with the uh, Axis. After the Italian surrender, reduced to three years, not for good behaviour, Tom, but because he was such a prominent and respected soldier <laughs> who'd done so right. very well for Italy during the war. See, si, see, si, he's a fascist, but he's a really good one, yes. And uh, let's be honest, we really don't have many war heroes. <laughs> so let's not put him in prison. Let's make a good example of him. So after the war, he remained a very prominent fascist, forming the Italian National Front, and um, a very unpleasant man. And in 1969, was pretty disparaged by what he saw around Italy. Leftist workers' movements and student movements were on the up, and the centre-right government, he thought, was doing far too much to pander to these new left-wing movements. A change was needed, he decided, and so he pulled together all of his dickhead neo-Nazi fascist friends and set to work plotting a coup. Unfortunately, Tom, this is Italy, and so what he pulled together was not, let's just say, the most trustworthy or legitimate co-conspirators and alternative government. Having tried and failed to get support from within normal political parties, he turned to the criminal underworld for help. <laughs> yeah, that's close standard second. practice in Italy, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Offering a reduction in clampdowns, as well as clemency and a reduction in sentences, from the new government for two of the most famous Neapolitan mafia leaders, uh, Roman Raisin and the Tutti Frutti brothers. <laughs> hey! <laughs> <laughs> they beat him brown, white, and red. Was, was he actually called Roman Raisin? <laughs> no, he wasn't. No. <laughs> okay, right. <laughs> no, let me see if I can dig out the, uh, <laughs> the two. The two mafia guys were actually called uh, Giuseppe Calderone and Giuseppe de Cristina. The two Giuseppes. The two Giuseppes. Yeah. What were their oh. nicknames? Come on, they must have a good nickname. <laughs> well, they were both terrible for dribbling, Tom, and so they were largely known as the Sloppy Giuseppes. <laughs> I don't think the Americans will get that. That's, that's a British pizza reference. It's just, yeah, I thought it was a British pizza. So in, in return for this, in return for stopping clampdowns on Mafia activity and reduced sentences for two prominent leaders, the Mafia would ensure that in the days following the coup, prominent leftist politicians and academics would find themselves encountering unfortunate unfortunate <laughs> accidents. <laughs> Involving ice cream. Involving ice cream. Their car would be driving down a hill and, oh my God, the road is full of melted ice cream and slips off and goes down the side of the mountain. How, uh, how did that happen? Huh? How did that happen? Huh? <laughs> hey, what do you know? <laughs> It'd be a shame if you were to open the door and find yourself stabbed in the back with a waffle cone. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know your prize racing ice cream? Huh? <laughs> I chopped off his head and put it in your bed. <laughs> <laughs> it's woke up with a 99 flake in your bed. <laughs> oh, <I'm> <laughs> Sewn into a sack and thrown into a vat of hundreds and thousands. <laughs> you know the punchline. Go on. He must have topped himself. Hey. <laughs> so, so, 
swimming with the Ben and Jerry's fishes. (laughs) Oh my god, they've taken all the skin off his back. What happened? He must have met a Mr. Whippy. (laughs) So, not content with having to rely on the Mafia to support his coup, Borghese also recruited a bizarre underground branch of the Freemasons, as if you can get more underground than a secret society. But even by the standards of the Freemasons, these were these were underground. They were the A-team Freemasons. <laughs> they had secret handshakes for their secret handshakes. They did, yeah. The fingers would do little mini finger handshakes. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this group of the Freemasons called Propaganda Due, or P2, who were kicked out of the main secret society a few years later for being, being just too so secret. Goddamn <laughs> secretive. Yeah, for being too secretive and undanded. <laughs> but Maybe to be fair... Would they turn up at meetings? Oh, hello, uh, Giuseppe. How are you doing? I'm telling you. <laughs> no. Oh, come on. Just what? having a chat. You're already in. What's it to you? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to know? What's that under your coat? What are you hiding? Hiding? What do you think I'm hiding? I'm not hiding anything. Do I look suspicious to you? Am I suspicious? Do you think I'm a suspicious man? Do I not look trustworthy to you? Oh, this. It's a roast chicken. <laughs> don't ask me why. I don't trust your food. <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, propaganda duo of P2 kicked out for being too secretive and underhanded. Uh, to be fair, though, Tom, their activities included, and these are genuine things that this small cabal of, of uh, Freemasons did, they included bankrupting banks, including banks owned by the Vatican, blackmailing the Vatican in the protest, bankrolling far-right terrorist organisations who uh, committed several bombing atrocities, murdering a number of journalists, bribing politicians, and taking over the government of Argentina from the inside. Wow. And who had, among its esteemed memberships, uh, one, and I might be pronouncing his name wrong term, uh, Silvio Berlusconi. Oh, who? I know, never heard of him. <laughs> although, he was one to be, of these made stonemasons, was he? One of these he was masons. one of the P2 stonemasons, yes. Uh, although, Tom, he has argued in his defence, whilst he admits he was part of this group that took over the government of Argentina, committed several political murders, uh, <laughs> bankrupted the banks and blackmailed the Vatican. He has argued, Tom, in his defence, Silvio Berlusconi, that at the time he wasn't actively involved in politics. Mm. <laughs> Which, of course, Tom, obviously absolves him of all cuntishness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hashtag just secret society things. How old is Sylvia Berlusconi? I reckon he's about... Boy Scout Tom. Just Boy Scout stuff. Uh, let me... He's about 400, isn't he? Uh, yeah. I'm fairly sure he fought alongside Napoleon. Uh, he's 84. He was born in 1936. Okay. So, yeah, he was pretty old. He, he looks surprisingly looks... young. Yeah, he does. There's a lot of... Makeup. There's a lot of olive oil Mediterranean diet going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Um... <laughs> So, yeah, P2. I mean, if you want archetypal shadow state lizard people nonsense, the kind of stuff that Alex Jones peddles on YouTube, these guys really were it. The QAnon conspiracy theory. I mean, look to P2 in Italy. (laughs) I would absolutely love it if Alex Jones was, in fact, Alan Jones. So the plot also, in the in the vague interests of hoping that I managed to get at least some time on Tuesday when I edit this to, I don't know, eat. The plot also, <laughs> moving us swiftly on, the plot also had the help of a few rogue military units and some neo-Nazis, unsurprisingly, and several sectors of the CIA, who argued to President Nixon the US should offer a naval blockade of southern Italy and even be prepared to bombard left-wing political offices with naval guns if they resisted the coup. 
And the CIA, Tom, weren't just aware because they'd been tracking the coup. Uh, oh, no. Although, of course, they had. Oh, no, no, Tom. They were aware because the conspirators had rocked up at the US Embassy one day and asked if the Americans would like to be involved. <laughs> right. So the Americans thought the big threat here is communism. We yes. don't want communism. No. Can't think of anything wrong with fascism in Italy and Europe. No. Recently. No, no, no. And, uh, you know, we're not, we're not even talking communism, Tom. We're talking centre-left. <laughs> <laughs> we want weekends. We want weekends. Yes, basically, yes. <laughs> Public healthcare. Public healthcare. Fucking commies. <laughs> exactly. Exactly, Tom. The bastards. The right what to next? <laughs> the right to strike. Well, fortunately, Tom, as we all know, the Americans would never, never, never stoop so low as to intercede, interdict, or militarily get involved in the overthrow of a democratically elected government. And, uh, and so fortunately, because this isn't the way that America operates, the US ambassador simply told the plotters, maybe. <laughs> so the US position eventually, actually, the US didn't help out, but they never said they wouldn't help out. They just decided behind the scenes that they wouldn't get involved. What they actually told the conspirators was that they would support the coup if they had the uh, unwavering support of all four branches of the Italian armed services. So basically, if you get the army, the navy, the air force and the military police on side, we'll help you out. But that never happened, so they never got involved. Anyway, the date for the coup was set at December 7th, 1969, and it was a very simple plan by coup standards. Dissident army units and paramilitaries were to seize the Ministry of the Interior, uh, Ministry of Defence and other major government offices. Uh, meanwhile, the Freemasons were to take over the major TV and radio channels and issue a proclamation of a new government, uh, presumably whilst bouncing naked on a space hopper with their boobs jiggling, because Italian TV. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to get people to watch. <laughs> yep. And I love the idea of a Freemason in his secret robes with his boobs hanging out. <laughs> a giant pair of comedy breasts on a Freemason. <laughs> I've been bambino. I've been bambino. No, a serious message. <laughs> boing, boing, boing. Please take me seriously. I am trying to overthrow the government. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Mafia would do what the Mafia did best and kill a load of police chiefs. And uh, sure enough, on the evening of the coup, the conspirators took up their positions. Hundreds of militants marched on the interior ministry, raiding the weapons vaults and stealing thousands of machine guns and rifles. The Neapolitan mafia were busy sharpening their waffle cones near the houses of opposition <laughs> leaders. The Freemasons were practising their special secret super handshakes and hosting orgies in hotels opposite the TV stations, while simultaneously said TV stations broadcast orgies, or as they're called on Italian TV... <laughs> Weather Family forecasts. game shows. Yes. <laughs> and then at 1.40 in the morning, the call came to stand down. It's not entirely sure why, though it's believed that Borghese had a phone call tipping him off that the government knew exactly what was going on and had plans to stop it, which is entirely likely because several senior government officials were involved in and supported the plot. <laughs> it is true that the government had prepared for just such a coup. Because, Tom, it had planned one itself in 1964, in case the left got a bit too powerful. So it would coup back into power? No, no, Tom, not even back into power. The government in 1964 had plotted its own coup against itself. Right. <laughs> Just in case the left got too powerful. And then they so, would blame it on the left, would they? No, no. So the plan was that in the original 1964 plan, which is called Piano Solo, All Alone was to basically, if the left got powerful enough that they were going to be involved in a coalition government, there would be a coup and the conspirators would 
I say the conspirators, the Italian police <laughs> who'd organised the entire thing with the blessing of the president, blessing instruction of the president of Italy at the time. The plan was that they would overthrow the government, reinstall all of the government, but just without the lefties. <laughs> Who would be transported? Who would be transported to a special prison camp? Seven hundred of them. They had names. They had a list of names that was never published, but they would be transported to a special prison camp in uh, Sicily, where they would either be held for ages or disappeared. The plan was, unfortunately, exactly the same as what the mafia, Freemasons, and fascists were now planning to do. And so, whilst plotting their coup, the government had also obviously taken the opportunity to draw up detailed plans for an anti-coup to their own coup, just in case anyone else had the audacity to try it out. <laughs> they had anti-ice cream guns. They did, yes. Positioned all around, and the heaters turned up high. Yeah, absolutely. They just had, uh, yeah, they had police armed with hair dryers. <laughs> <laughs> I've met a few Italian policemen, and I have to say, it's, it would be very unlikely if a hairdryer wasn't an integral part of their police armoury. <laughs> and a comb. Comb in one pocket, hairdryer yeah. in the other. Some curling tongs. <laughs> yeah. Some pomade. Fake tan. Yeah. But anyway, back to this coup. And hilariously, the far-right militants, having given, been given the order to stand down, having already raided the armoury at the Ministry of the Interior, had to spend the next few hours getting all the, the stolen back. guns... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they had to put all the stolen guns back in the right order. Shush, shush. <laughs> Don't make Benito, Benito, no, we're put not back. We're not overthrowing the government today. But give me nice the guns. Gun. Give me the guns. No, you can have it next time. Promise we'll do this another day. Just we're put coming it back. <laughs> well, Tom, you joke. <laughs> As we'll shortly find out, that stands up in court <laughs> As a defence. <laughs> Because um, it turns out can't be a coup if you're just practicing for a coup, right? So all of the guns were put back in the right order to hide the evidence. It was a run-through coup. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it was a coup drill, all apart from one, which was recovered several years later. So only one machine gun was stolen. Nothing happened for a couple of months before the full story was leaked by the press and the government. Uh, once the government and the police had given all the conspirators plenty of time to escape and avoid questioning or trial. Junior Valerio Borghese himself fled to Spain, where he died a few years later. Not that it would have mattered anyway, because the trials that did take place when they eventually took place were a farce of truly Italian proportions. <laughs> because when the courts asked for evidence to convict the ringleaders, the Italian Secret Service wasted eight years doing nothing, then delivered a half-complete dossier with gaping holes that basically declared it nothing more than a paper exercise by a load of nostalgic old men in a pub despite the fact that hundreds of militants had actually turned up and stormed government buildings and groups had turned up outside major broadcasters with the aim of overtaking them. In fact, the Secret Service actively destroyed tons of evidence about the coup and removed, removed the names, Tom, of the defendants from hundreds more documents before handing them over to the courts. The Minister of Defence at the time claimed that he'd done this, taken the names of all of the defendants out of the evidence, to simplify the documents because having their names in made it very complicated to understand. <laughs> right. This was the Minister of Defence. <laughs> One of the few men to publicly speak was a dissident lieutenant colonel called Amos Spiazzi, who had mutinied from the Italian army on the day of the coup and marched his men to surround a communist hotspot in Milan. And he argued in court that there was never the chance of a real coup because an emergency plan was ready to be executed by the armed forces in the case of a revolt. Basically, he claimed it wasn't a crime because the police were aware they were plotting, so it never would have succeeded. 
solid defence. Right. Others stated that the coup was only a dry run for a real coup to be made subsequently, and that's why they put the guns back. <laughs> and so it didn't count because it was just a practice. Essentially, Tom, the argument was that you can't convict me of a crime I was only planning to commit. <laughs> right. I, I don't know why my wife was so angry at me for trying to drunkenly shag that stripper. I mean, I couldn't get an erection, so what's she complaining about? Jesus. <laughs> but, Tom, this is Italy, and the judges were thoroughly convinced by this robust defence. <laughs> Particularly the stripper analogy. And whilst three minor players in the coup were initially convicted in 1978, an appeal pretty quickly overturned the lot. <laughs> Everyone was let off the hook, and when someone else in 1991 tried to bring the trial back again and uh, and convict the last few surviving members of the coup, the government claimed that it had been so long since it destroyed the evidence that it was no longer legal to try and convict anyone on it. How convenient. How convenient. So there we go, Tom, a particularly ridiculously corrupt coup. <laughs> that does sound corrupt. That and failed, uh, but everyone got away with because Italy. <laughs> and the judges were probably in on it anyway, weren't they? Oh, of course they Was were. Was anyone honest? Was anyone <laughs> <No>. involved honest? <laughs> no. I mean, again, the aim of this coup and the reason why it had so much support, it wasn't really to overthrow the government. It was to overthrow the government, ban the leftist parties, and then reinstate the government. But it was just being done by an outside fascist force, which is why everyone got let off. Crikey. <laughs> Indeed. There you go. So there we go. So I'm afraid that is a rather complicated story. I do apologise. But a wonderful farce. But a wonderful farce. Well, it was actually turned into a satirical movie uh, in Italy called "Where We Want the Colonels, I think it's called. I can't remember what it's called in Italian. Volio Colonels. Bim bam bin Bim bam bin that's my story for the week. That's the only funny, silly coup I was able to find. Wonderful. Very, very good. Should we, uh, should we find a topic for next week? Have we got one? Well, we have whales, as in the mammal. The animal whales. Yeah. I, I, oh, is it going to be a bit limiting, that as a topic? We, we're probably going to end up going down a mythological route, I imagine. It's going to be a tricky one. Well, let's, let's do the sea. Let's, let's do the sea. And if whales sea, pops we'll up, then that's marvellous. We'll try and do whales. Okay. Wonderful. Marvellous. Let's do that as the next public episode okay. in two weeks' time. Should we think of one ourselves for patrons? Uh, have you had any ideas? Let's do the heavens. Everything above our head. Ceilings. Yes. Faster work. Lofts. All right. All the way up to the galaxies. Okay. How about this for a thematic pair? Next week, patrons, we do the skies... Week after public, we do the seas. I like it. I like what you're doing there. Marvellous. Okay, well, thank you very much for tuning in, audience. And if you want to hear that episode all about the skies next week, be that sky, clouds, space, air travel, whatever, uh, do tune in. Uh, you can, well, become a patron. Become a, join the Order of the Bath. You can find us at patreon.com slash thatwasgenius, where for three, four, or five pounds a month, or equivalent in your local currency, plus tax, you can get episodes, exclusive episodes, every other week. You also get access to all Tom's doodles, three print-at-home medals uh, if you go for the full £5, and songs for every patron level as well. All that remains for me to say is also join our Facebook group. That was Genius of Funny History podcast group. See you hopefully next week, if not the week after. Nice outro. Thanks, Hammy. <laughs> <laughs> say goodbye, Tom. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye-bye, everyone. <laughs>